Today's episode of the BS Podcast on the Rigor Podcast Network, brought to you as always by our friends at ZipRecruiter. Having high sports IQ, very important. Just look at the conversation we're about to have right now with Chuck Klosterman. High sports IQs all the way around. When it comes to hiring, you don't need a high hiring IQ. Just use ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter's powerful technology scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience for your job. 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. My listeners can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash BS ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. We're also brought to you by The Ringer. Dot com, where even though it's mid-July and even though there's not a lot going on, we have some awesome pieces on The Ringer right now. Jonathan Charks wrote about Jonathan Isaac, who might be the first one to break the magic curse. Roger Sherman wrote a really funny piece about the movie Set It Up on Netflix and the fact that Lucy Liu is a sports media empire CEO slash person and all the flaws in whatever they turned in with that one. We have an oral history on Step Brothers which is also going to be the rewatchables for this week. Check that out. And uh, who will be the next NFL's next Legion of Boom by Danny Kelly. Just a whole bunch of awesome stuff, including a big feature by Dave Hill about a cockfighting ring raid that upended a small town. That happened. Check it out. TheRinger.com. Coming up, Chuck Klosterman first. Pearl Jam. All right, Chuck, close to me now on the line. It's been a couple months. A lot of things have happened. The Warriors have have uh, carved in some dominance. I don't know if Chuck likes that or not. LeBron has moved to L.A. The World Cup is happening, and we're going to talk about Chappaquiddick later because we are both fascinated by Chappaquiddick. Let's start with the Warriors. Now people are saying this is bad for the NBA to have a dominant team. This sucks. What's your take? Well, you know, uh, I thought it was a real great NBA season, like a lot of people did. I think the, you know, the, the, the as it kind of unspooled, it was real interesting. But it is strange how it, the end of the year was exactly what everyone said would happen in October. That it would be the Warriors playing the Cavs and the Warriors win. Um, I don't think it's bad for the league, though. Do you? No, I like when there's, I like watching great basketball. I like watching great basketball teams. I like having really good teams. I would rather have dominant teams. I, I think what sucked was probably probably that round two range. It felt, it just felt there was a lot of time between games. There wasn't a lot of excitement. And uh, there just seemed like for about 17, 18 days there, the NBA wasn't that much fun. But I, the Houston Golden State series was really uh, compelling, I thought, and Celtics Cavs was too. And then we had it, you know, the finals was what it was. It it turned on the first game. Yeah, well, I mean, the whole I thought the East playoffs were good the whole way through. The West playoffs, I mean, I, yeah, I know what you're saying, but I mean, that could happen regardless of how the talent is distributed. I, I, I don't know if people, re- I mean, it's a, it's something to talk about. You know, they can say like, is this good or is this bad? I guess, you know, um, I think that the thing that is disturbing people maybe a little bit, I don't think they're, I don't even know if they're conscious of this, but I think that it's hard for people, particularly in the United States 
to get used to a professional sports league where the players run everything. Yeah. I mean, it's weird that this happens. Like this was not even 15, 10, 15 years ago, this didn't seem possible. And now, you know, it's, the players have all this agency and the money is so massive that guys can take a, a lot less than they could potentially earn. And it's still like, it, it, it has almost, I mean, how do you even visually, Im, you know, imagine, like, how do you imagine the difference between 208 million and 179 million? Right. You know, it's like, what do you, how do you look at those things and say, oh, well, you know, I can't give up, you know, $26 million or whatever, but you can in this scenario. It's like, it, it, it's almost an abstraction. So, you know, when I heard Cousins was going to the Warriors, at first I was like, oh, this is getting weird now, but it totally makes sense. He's not going to play for a long time. It isn't even necessarily going to be the best move for them. Like I could, I can absolutely see a scenario where he's healthy and they're better off with him, not on the floor. Although I also think, and maybe uh, you, you're kind of the historian on this. Would you agree that if next year, the warriors are healthy, that is the best starting five in basketball history. Or, if, no NBA history. Cause we can't count the Olympic teams in NBA history. Would you say that if the warriors are at full strength, those are the best five guys any team has ever put on the floor simultaneously. I would say it is. So you're saying if Boogie's in there? Yes, and he's healthy and he's playing well. I'd have to look back at some of the 60s Celtic teams because there there were some years where, because the league only had like eight or nine or 10 teams. Sure, absolutely. Like one, a couple of those Celtic teams had Havlicek coming off the bench and you know, crazy That's stuff true. like that. Although he was he was coming off the bench, though, often when he was the first or second best player on that team. True. For, and you, for you, a we while. often talk about the often talk about the '86 Celtics. You got three of the top fifty players at the time uh, on that team, but here you have two MVPs who are still basically at their apex level. You have a guy who, if he was on a bad team, would probably lead the league in scoring. You have the most versatile player, two-way player maybe in the league, who doesn't seem to care if he scores and can have a good game scoring four points. And then you add the first or second best center in the league. Well, I, think I don't that- know when that situation has happened before. I can't, I can't think of a team where you would say their best five guys are all uh, potentially first-team All-NBA players. I, I think the 86 Celtics is a good comparison to this because I don't see him playing a lot of minutes next year. I don't think he's going to come back until January, February range. And even then, I don't th- I don't see him playing big minutes. And I see him in that Bill Walton 1986 role for this team where he comes off the bench in both halves but occasionally finishes games and, sw- and sw- is able to swing the momentum and – swing different things. And the other thing that was great when Walton was on that team, which I, I I still think is the best team ever start to finish. He, he hadn't won yet and his own storyline kind of invigorated everybody else. And I think that's what that Warriors team was missing last year. They who, didn't, had, who hadn't won yet? The, the who? Bill Walton, well, he'd won in 77, but he had the, he hadn't won with that team. Yeah. And it was like kind of the new well, wrinkle. Yeah. And I, I get, I suppose, I think this yeah, boogie I, thing, I, I, I just, 
What if, if, if Cousins is healthy, he's not coming off the bench. If he if it's if it's May and he is a hundred percent, and the, here's the deal: it's an Achilles injury on a real big guy. So in the past, we'd be like, oh, I don't know. But now it seems like anyone can come back from anything. I mean, the situation like with the Vikings and Peterson has just changed my view on all of this. Now I think anyone can come back from anything. And I think he'll probably be the same player he was or very close to it. And how would you not have him on the floor if that's See, the I, case? Unless I disagree. I, I, I think that's the one injury we have not seen good track record for people coming back, especially in basketball. It's It's been a lot of people taking really two years before they were close to what they were. And that, and even then it wasn't the same. Like there's been, well, I mean, think about Kobe came back late in his life, late in his career. Dominique Wilkins came back and was still pretty effective. Kobe was a pretty old person when this happened and he still managed to be a person who could score 60 points in a game. Yeah, but he took 50 50 50 shots. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Kobe was not the same. I'm, I'm just, Wesley yeah, Matthews was not the same. He was, he wasn't as good. Sure, of course he wasn't as good. But I, I'm just saying it does not seem impossible to me. Um, you know, there ever, there's always a first of all of these, right? When Bernard King came back, that was the first time it seemed like that had ever happened. I had an injury like that came yeah. all the way back. It took him two years. So though. I, I, it seems uh, it seems more and more plausible that he will be able to recover from this. I don't, maybe there, you're right. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not a doctor. I just want to see somebody come back from this injury 100%. I'm pretty sure in basketball it hasn't happened. The other thing is they're not incentivized really to care about what he thinks because he's there for one year. They can't, people seem mm-hmm. to think he was going to be there for 10 years. Like the way the salary cap works, they offered him 5 million. The following year, they can only offer him 120% of that. And he's clearly using them because he's going to parlay this one warrior season into a big contract the next year. So they can basically tell him whatever they want. I actually think he'd be pretty devastating coming off the bench because, you know, if you rig it the right way, you always have three crazy scorers out there. You know, you would have some version of Durant, Curry, Clay, and then Boogie is the fourth, and three of them are always out there. I think that would be pretty great. I, I'm really excited to watch this team. I'm, I'm in the minority. I, I, I want to watch great basketball teams. I'm excited that this team is so good. And when you compare it to the 86 Celtics, I think Bird at his peak in 86 was better than Durant or Curry. But I think the combo of Durant and Curry is probably a higher upside than Bird and McHale. Parrish versus, I I would say, maybe Clay. Um, Clay's probably, Clay's a top 20 guy. Parrish is probably top 25 when he played. It's, It's relatively even. And then, uh, and then the wild card is Draymond. Draymond is better than Dennis Johnson or Danny Ainge was. Boogie versus Bill That's Walton is fun. Yeah. They do. They are certainly the most talented team we've had. I would say, you know, the 82 Lakers were really loaded. You go back to that team because they had Young Magic. They had Kareem. At it really still in his prime. They had Jamal oh, Wilkes. Yeah. They had Bob McAdoo. They had Norm Nixon. That team, that team, was, that team was up there. But this is this is pretty crazy because you have Boogie was on pace to be a second team All NBA guy last year. So if he doesn't get hurt, well, obviously he's not the same now. But they have three guys on their team who, as recently in the last twelve months, people are considering top ten guys. And then Clay is 
a borderline all NBA guy. And then Draymond, same thing. Pretty crazy. And, you know, and here's, the, I guess, why it doesn't bother me to have a team that's loaded. They're still eventually going to lose, and that's going to be interesting. And they almost lost I mean, last year. It's not year. as though they, they could have, you know, that Rocket series was the first time when I was watching them, and I was like, oh, I guess there isn't a situation where they just have so much talent and so much shooting that no one can beat them. It's like they could have lost that series. It was very possible. Um, I think. The Celtics are going to be very good next year. Me too. I think the, this, I think the Sixers could be very good. Um, and it just seems as though it w- any dominant team eventually, you know, they, they lose something. If not talent, they can gain talent. But that edge that you need to have to just, you know, that desire that matters. So, it's like the, the Warriors are, you know, they could probably, I mean, if I had to put money on who will win the title next year, I would obviously bet on the Warriors, but it's not going to happen in perpetuity, you know? So it's, it, I think when you have these real dominant teams, it does make it more interesting because every time they almost lose, it becomes important. Yeah. And the other thing, if you go back and you just look over the last, I don't know, 40 years of Final Fours in the NBA. The the top seeds in each conference usually go to the go to the last, go to the third round. It's mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. very yeah. rare exceptions. Like you had the '99 season. I'm doing this off the top of my head, but the lockout season in '99, when they only played 50 games, the Knicks made the finals as an eight seed. You know that's pretty pretty crazy that that happened. But it was a sh- way shorter sample size. It was a lot like Leicester City winning the Premier League, where you when you just have less games more wackiness happens. But for the most part, you go through year by year by year, and it's always the teams with the best records that usually make the Final Four. So I don't know if it's that much different. I think what what people seem to not like is that this was so orchestrated and that it it was this confluence of events with the salary cap going up and Durant deciding to jump to a 73-win team, all that stuff. But at the same time, they did everything by the rules. I, w- I would argue it's more annoying... A situation like the Lakers, where they do everything wrong for six years, like literally everything. Every draft pick they made, with the exception of Brandon Ingram, is is something you could criticize or look back on and be like, "Wow, that was a huge mistake." They had to trade. Well, they wait, trade one like Kuzma and ba- Kuzma and Baumhart. They they have like four good young players. Well, I was talking about their lottery got- picks. They 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 pick seventh, okay. seventh, second, second, and second. Randall's gone. They gave away D'Angelo Russell to get rid of Mozgov's contract. Lonzo is available. I, I just think people are afraid of his dad. Um, the mozgov dan combo signings in 2016 were absolutely atrocious. The way they've handled their coaching stuff the last six years was just atrocious. I would say they were one of the three most poorly run teams in the league this decade until this year. And then they get LeBron anyway. Like To me, that's more annoying. It's like you don't you don't you don't deserve LeBron. You haven't done anything to deserve this. You're just getting him because he wants to live in LA. That's literally the only reason. Well, okay, that's some of what you said is true there. I guess I disagree with some of it. Okay, first of all, you I know you you're always kind of fixated on the Harden trade, you know, and it would have been interesting if Oklahoma city had kept that team together that would obviously be a super team if they had those three guys and i don't think anybody would mind that because it would seem to have happened organically 
True. So what you're saying is true, I guess. Um, the Lakers are just kind of a fascinating situation. I think that they are, that their potential is being overrated by casual fans, but underrated by like the serious basketball people. I think their real performance is going to fall somewhere in the middle. I think that they're, I, I, I see, you know, a lot of people are now, the, 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 so when I listen to the radio and I'm driving around and listening to sports talk, this idea seems to be, it's like, well, LeBron obviously doesn't care about winning titles anymore. He must, that must've been, he must've passed that point in his life because he's going to this team that just may not make the playoffs or whatever. I don't think that's true. I mean, I think his mentality is wherever I go, I'm kind of all we need to make a team substantially better. In fact, you know what one of my big regrets is now, Bill? I kind of regret after these playoffs, every negative thing I've said about LeBron throughout my life. Wow. And it's not like a, it's not like I went around, you know, criticizing him incessantly, but I just I, I, I really felt almost lucky to have watched him play in the playoffs this year. And he is a good guy. And yeah. I just I think that uh that uh, it was it was almost as though it was like I, like I, uh, okay, there's this one guy, uh, what's his name? He's on like Fox Sports One. He really loves LeBron. Nick loves Wright. Him, loves him. Nick loves Wright. Him. Yes. Yeah, I okay. like Nick Wright. He's okay, all right. Like, I'm down okay. with him. Yeah, so do I. So do I. I think it's, I think it's still entertaining, but like for a while, like he would just, he would like, anytime he would mention LeBron, he would just sort of like, kind of, as an ancillary thing, just throw in that he's the greatest player of all time, even if he's talking about like, like what kind of car LeBron drives or whatever, you just kind of throw that in there. Yeah. And I was like, ah, what's like, what's the reason? Like, what's he trying to do here? What's his point? Is he trying to be the first guy to be famous for saying LeBron is the best player ever. But so I'm not like that point, but, uh, he is the best player ever. I think now, Whoa! And oh. I think that he has, I think that he has that, that the way he's gone about achieving that is, um, pretty admirable and i feel like a jerk now kind of for having said a lot of negative things about him just because he was so famous and maybe and it's so easy to criticize somebody that great yeah i'm i'm shocked you just ditched michael jordan (laughs) i just i think i think he is well because here's the deal okay you all we always talk about how you can't you can't compare eras or whatever and i i don't know if i really agree with that because what i always think of is you have to look at the gap between the best player and the second best player. Now the gap between Jordan and like you know, Barkley or Carmelone, who was ever the second best player, you know, whatever the case may be, probably was greater than the gap between LeBron and Durant. So I guess that that'd be the one thing you could still say that sort of makes Jordan different, that the gap between him and everyone else may have been greater. But I don't really see anything that LeBron doesn't do as well or better than Jordan, except hate people. Well, the only thing that he lacks that Jordan hated people more and was more competitive and maybe cared a little bit more about the bottom line. But in every other way now, I just, it does. It, it kind of seems silly almost now to me, not silly. Maybe he's going too far. It's still a valid argument, but I, I, it, now it just, it, 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 it seems as though, if you had to pick one of those two guys, 
for your kind of theoretical, hypothetical match against the aliens or whatever the fuck it is. What's that thing <laughs> when we play the aliens? Is that what you always talk about? That's the Bob Ryan's idea. It's Bob Ryan's it's alien Bob test. Ryan's yeah. Idea. Okay, okay. I stole it from so, him. Okay, so we're, we're, we're fighting the aliens. Yeah. And we're, no, no, we're not fighting them. We're, act, we're they're Somehow they're really amicable. They want to play us in basketball. Yeah, they showed up. So they challenged us. <laughs> yeah, so now we can, and I suppose because they're aliens, they're like, you can clone whoever you want to be the best version of that player. I guess I would first be like, well, we got to get LeBron. I think that that would be the first thing just because you know, he's bigger. And I mean, what, what, what skills like, okay. Would you say Jordan was a better defender, but I think LeBron potentially for one possession could be the best defender of all time. I think you know, Jordan- you just need, if you had to shut, if you had to shut somebody down for one possession, I think I would put LeBron up against anyone. I think Jordan was a better scorer. And I think and I think Jordan was just a better quarter to quarter defender. He's just better. LeBron LeBron took a lot of time off on that in the last few years, which was really smart. That's what he had to do. I think the best case for your argument is the old if you had five of the same guy against five of any other guy who would win. This has always been the best LeBron case. Five LeBrons would beat five other five anyone else's, right? Who would mm-hmm. who would beat mm-hmm. five LeBrons? Yeah. Maybe yeah. maybe it's five LeBrons versus five Magics in the finals. Is that possible? Uh, can we? Does this is I I I like this line of thinking because does this also work? Who do you take for your football team? Do you have to have eleven of a guy? I know who I'd take. Oh well, I'm, we're going to find out right after this. We're taking a break to talk about Full Sail University's Dan Patrick School of Sportscasting. Legendary sportscaster Dan Patrick from the Dan Patrick Show and Sunday Night Football has teamed up with Full Sail University to offer an accelerated bachelor's degree in sportscasting. Full Sail University combines hands-on learning, immersive product projects, and faculty with real-world experience to prepare students for life in the media industry for the Dan Patrick School of Sportscasting. They brought in some of me- sports media's best to be part of this program. Longtime ESPN producer, multi-Emmy winner, and my good friend Gus Ramsey heading up the program. Sportscasting pros such as Jay Harris, Kevin Nagande, Sage Steele, many more involved. I'm thrilled to be part of the advisory board. I might even be making a trip down there in a couple months. In this program, students will learn sportscasting inside and out, on camera, behind the camera, podcasting, radio, interviewing, everything in between. You can earn a bachelor's degree in about half the time, as short as 20 months, and you can choose to earn your degree online or on full sales campus in Orlando, Florida. To learn more about Full Sail University's Dan Patrick School of Sportscasting, go to fullsail.edu slash Bill Simmons. Back to Chuck. All right, we're back. So you're saying 11 of somebody in football. Yeah, and they got to play both ways, and they got to kick. Oh, I, d- I think the obvious choice is Walter Payton. Oh, I think Walter Payton is clearly the most complete football player of all time. For some reason, I was just thinking 11 Bo Jacksons would figure it out. That would be good. That would be good. But, but they'd be I, good on I, D. I, you know, uh, yeah, I guess it, they'd be, it would be a pretty physical team. It probably should be like a defensive guy. It probably would make more sense to pick like a defensive back who had played quarterback in college 
like I, this is probably I think the nine thousandth time on this podcast I've mentioned the name Nolan Cromwell. You're right. For some reason I always bring up <laughs> Nolan Cromwell on this podcast every time. I don't know how it happens. One of the great white athletes ever. Uh, yeah. Um, well, everyone says that Lawrence Taylor was the greatest athlete who's ever played football. Seems to be the consensus. So if you had eleven Lawrence Taylors but, on both but sides, we, but remember we got we got to have it's hard to sort of imagine Lawrence Taylor playing quarterback, and that's the key to this. It's whatever guy you pick. Are you challenging him? You can't really pick a quarterback. You can't really pick a quarterback because it's hard to imagine the quarterback doing anything outside of that. Like, you know, Aaron Rodgers, hard to imagine him playing tackle or whatever. So you got to pick somebody who is uh, sort of kind of the pure athlete who could also feasibly throw take, football. You know, like Peyton, play, Peyton played quarterback on certain possessions and games. Like, like at one point, their quarterback got hurt and Dick benched the second guy and had, I think it was against the Packers. Can't remember what year it was, but like they just put Walter Payton in the shotgun and he played quarterback for like four possessions. He's a great example of missing your era. He might be in the top three greatest miss, missed his era guys. Cause if what you just, is, what era should he have been in? If you the just put him one, no, if you put him 20 years later during the era of fantasy football and everybody being able to see every game and highlights and, even if you brought him even 30 years and now Twitter's involved. I think we just, I think Walter Payton would have been the most popular football player of the last 20 years or whatever. People just loved him. Well, I, I barely, I, he was a pretty popular player at the time. I mean, if you go on YouTube for like just watching dudes highlights, yeah, I would say he's, he's up there. number one. Earl Campbell's probably number two. Um, Gail Sayers is really Moss. good. Yeah, but there's less of that. And we've seen it all. Like, that, when you watch when you watch these Walter Payton clips and these Earl Campbell clips, every once in a while it'll be like, I never even saw that. Gail Sayers, there's such a limited amount of footage. True, there's only like five games. Like you never see I've never like if someone shows me something that Gail Sayers did that I haven't seen, I'm shocked. It's like seeing footage of the Beatles that I haven't seen or something. It's like I'm just blown away that somehow yeah. I managed not to see it. You know? Randy Moss is definitely in that conversation. He's he I would put him in the top five. Yeah, the the Peyton thing, you know, I was, I love football. I'm a little older than you, grown up, and we just had the two games they showed on NBC and and uh, CBS. Sometimes there'd be three. They didn't show the Bears really ever because the Bears weren't good. So the only time we even saw Walter Payton was when they would cut in, do the highlights. Mm. They're like, let's go to Chicago where Walter Payton did something great, and you'd be like, oh my god, who's well, that? Know, the, the the Vikings were the local team for where I was. So we, you'd always see the bears twice. Yeah. That was two um, more than I saw, and, you know, and then usually the late CBS game was Dallas. And it's a, I feel like there's a couple times they played. They were never on Monday night though. Very rarely. Very yeah. rarely see the, you know, the bears on Monday night. Those eighties guys really lost out. I, I feel the same way about the basketball guys. Cause magic and, and Larry and, and Michael specifically. And I think Dominique, during the Twitter era would have been phenomenal because of his, his in-game dunking. I still have him number one as, as the best in-game dunker I've ever seen, but just night to night magic and bird messing around and doing some of the stuff they did, I think translated better to league pass and Twitter than anything, especially the passing. I mean, they could have, they could have single-handedly rejuvenated the whole passing era in here. I think Don Chich has a chance. Highlights on Twitter though. It's like, you just, you know, you see it, don't really look at it again. They're up there all the time, so they seem much less meaningful. I don't know. I, you know, like to me, 
the 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 apex of highlights was when Howard Cosell did the yeah, the Monday night you know, the, yeah, the, the, the halftime the Monday night yeah. that was the best it ever was because you were seeing stuff that was this is the only time you're going to see it announced by the perfect person to do it um, like as a little kid I almost didn't look like that well, I know I did I like that part more than the game like you just sort of wait for that and I've often like wait like I wouldn't go to bed. I could watch the highlights of that before I went to bed or whatever. Um, now highlights are very cheap, so it doesn't seem as though um, I, now I, I, I'm, I, I tend to look at box scores more than I look at highlights just because I'm like, oh, so I want to see what happened. Which I was going to ask you, so what do you think is going to happen now with Trey Young? I think he played well last night. He finally had a good night shooting. But uh, I watched uh, that, uh, like the Hawks and the Knicks game. I think it was the first game Knox played. Yeah, last week, um, and I, I'm sort of a mixed mind of what's going to happen with Trey Young now, and I'm wondering what you think before I give my sort of position on this. I think he's really young. I think he weighs about 120 pounds. I don't know if he totally knows how to play basketball when he doesn't have the ball, and I think he's a ridiculous shooter. And I would urge everybody to just ride the up and downs this first year. I don't think. I think we're going to know for five years. If you go back and you watch Curry and the Warriors and 09 and 10 and 11, there's no real sign that anything that's about to happen is going to happen. I mean, he almost got traded for Andrew Bogut. So I think it's going to take a while. I'm hoping that people don't go nuts the first time he goes like two for 18 in a game because it's going to happen. Well, he, he, and that's going to happen. But here's the, here's the thing that I find interesting. Normally when a guy like that, he comes from college to the NBA, if he ends up busting, it's because he can't get the shots he got in college. Like they were, like he was a knockdown shooter or whatever in college, and now he gets the NBA and and he he can't do it. I don't see how that can happen to him though, since him getting his shot is dribble the ball up the court and pull up from thirty five feet away right. or whatever. Like you can't like he can get so at some point. It's not like you forget how to shoot, right? It's like he can't suddenly. It's not like Fultz or whatever where there's some mechanical problem. So. I I wonder if he's just gonna like why I, I I don't know why he's going one for thirteen and two for eleven in so many of these summer league games. I don't really understand that. It just it 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 seems really contradicts the way he seemed as a player in college. But then at the end of the college year, he was struggling too. So I don't know. I just he had I a good. I want him to succeed. He had a good one last night. He was like seven yeah, was seven thirteen. He, yeah, he went. Well, but yeah, well, he was he made it was like. Seven for thirteen on three, yeah, but like seventeen of nineteen overall, yeah, like seven of nineteen. Like he, like he, he, he only made three. He missed every other shot. That might be who he is, though. Yeah. And I, he had four turnovers. You know, I think he went to the right team because they're going to be awful, and he can just kind of figure out who he is and what he's, what he's going to do. I do think though, um, it really seems like the the order of that draft, even just a month in after we've had the draft, would be totally different. I don't think there's any way Marvin Bagley would go second. I just don't see it. I that I was so impressed by Wendell Carter on the Bulls, and I thought Knox looked really good. And I, I just it goes to show you yet again, like these teams tank to get into the top five, and yet every year seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, you get like two or three gems out of those picks. You know, you just have to know who to pick. Bad teams, bad teams do dumb things. Can we go back to the, to five LeBrons for a second? Okay. Sure. 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 Um, 
who would you have in the finals against the five LeBrons? Would you have Wilt? Five Wilts? Um, you know, you don't, I, I don't know a great deal about Wilt's ball handling because, and, and the thing is, it's very possible he was a pretty good ball handler, but that was during a period where a center wasn't supposed to dribble. Yeah. Like, it, like he wasn't supposed to bring it up um, ever under any really, no, if he could handle the ball, uh, yeah, that would be right in there. I mean, can I give you a dark you're horse? Kind of looking, uh, I think, okay, sure. I think five Pippins would be pretty good. Like, yeah, be, like yeah, better yeah, than you realize. Say, some, hey, hey, the guys who play the three that there's an obvious choice for this, right? Because they can go up or down. You well, know? the guys um, who can guard different positions, handle the ball and like his versatility, Grand Hill would be another one that I think. Healthy Grand Hill is somebody that five Grand Hills might actually be a fun one. I'll be interested if, they, if the listeners out there have any ideas of who would play five LeBrons in the finals. But I mean, even as you say, like five Pippins or whatever against five LeBrons, it doesn't seem close to me. Yeah, it'd be tough. It's, you know, it's, it's, it, it is hard. I mean, if you, I guess I would take five Jordans if I had to pick somebody in this, in this new alien scenario. Um, you know, the uh, alien clone scenario. Sort of, yeah, it just sort of fit in that, like, just work from the premise that somehow he's just going to want it more, and he's going to—he's just going to do whatever you know necessary, you know, poison him or whatever to succeed. Um, well, the, but, the, but I mean, you know, what LeBron probably happens though? He's like sixty pounds heavier than Jordan or something, right? Yeah, that, well, That's the early nineties Jordan, yeah, late nineties Jordan, uh-huh. I think had more weight, but I think. I think the five MJs would be the underdog. They'd probably be two to one underdogs and would take it personally and would just go all out. And the five LeBrons wouldn't know what was happening. But I'm with you. I w- the funny thing about what happened with LeBron for me from a historical standpoint was if he had beaten the Warriors in that finals, I think it almost would have been unassailable that he was the greatest player of all time. Because yes. if you go back and you go to the mid-90s with Jordan – Nobody was like, this is the greatest player of all time until the 97 and 98 finals. The combo of uh, Malone goes against him. He hits the game-winning shot in game one. He's the flu game in game five. Vanquishes him in six. And then the next year basically carries that broken down Bulls team all the way and makes the shot. And by the end of 98, we're like, that's the greatest player ever. LeBron... Could have had that moment, I think, in the finals last year. If he if he had gone toe to toe with the best team in in not only in the league but of the decade, and actually beaten them somehow with all these dudes he was playing with, with J.R. Smith and Corver, I think we just would have walked away and gone, "Wow, okay, it's over. No more conversation." Well, yeah, I mean, I don't know. This is maybe the simplest way to look at that. So Jordan takes two years off. Bulls were still pretty good. Like they won, you know, I mean, they, they were in the playoffs. They were a competitive team. If you would have taken LeBron off the Cavs this year, well, we terrible are there. We're going to find out they're, they're they're in the lottery. I mean, there's no question to me that they're, they're be awful. And I, 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 I think you can go through outside of the years he was in Miami. That was kind of the case every year. I know. But part of that is, so much revolves around him on a basketball team. I've made this point before that 
you know, when, when he's not there, it's, it's just, people don't have the reps to know how to think for themselves. Basically he's doing everything. Everything's running through him. And then it's like, all right, I'm out of the game. You guys do it. And they don't know what to do. Westbrook had this issue with OKC too. He had the ball all the time. And when he leaves the court, the team would fall apart. And people would be like, look at their on off court with Westbrook. And it's like, yeah, because their whole, everything they do runs through him. They, nobody thinks for themselves. Well, but, I mean, but Kevin Lovett had a period in Minnesota where everything ran through him. It shouldn't be a completely alien experience that when LeBron's not on the floor, that he sort of becomes the player he, he, I agree, he, but for, you know, so but they I, turned I, him into a spot up three point shooter. Like he, he almost lost those skills. I, I, I actually think that's Cleveland's fault and LeBron's fault to a lesser degree. That Love came to Cleveland with all of these different, really interesting skills and only used a couple of them. And I, I don't. I thought that was a mistake. He, he should have been I, the second I, best I player on a really good team. Yeah, that's true. And he turned but into like they Ryan were not Anderson. A really good team. They were they were a bad team with one great guy, yeah. and it seemed as though that one great guy. I mean, or we were just uh, swap LeBron out with anybody. I mean, Durant's the second best player. Switch those roles. Put Durant on on that Cleveland team. How far do they go? They make the playoffs in the East. Probably they're probably the eighth seed or the seventh seed. That's about as far as it gets. Durant leads the league in scoring, certainly, but that's the end. I don't know. I I think Durant, I think Durant would have had a pretty interesting effect on some of those guys because he he's just more fun to play with than LeBron. I think LeBron's a better basketball player, but Durant is is definitely more inclusive, and he's well, you know, he's not one of those. This system has to fit to me. He's one of those, I want to yeah. fit into whatever system we have. I always like those guys more personally, just because having, you know, played basketball back in the day, I was like playing with people well, like that more. Well, now you have a, you have, you have a, you have a special relationship with Durant. <laughs> I now. do. It's so special. You're, so, you're prof- you are, prof- you are professionally invested in his success. I, I'm really not. Hey, by the way, we have Jimmy Butler. Oh, on my, yes, you are. We have Jimmy Butler on my podcast <laughs> next week, and that will be the third time he's been on the podcast, which is two less than Durant. Well, sure. I mean, but that's like, you could mention a bunch of guys who, it's not the number of times that they have been on the podcast. It's the idea that sort of, that now you have special access. I don't. To I don't. The, we retired them. Because where else, because where else does Durant sort of speak candidly uh, for long stretches of time? He did. You he managed did. to sort of kind of chisel away this one thing. Like, you know, no, I, I did like not. There's been no chiseling. He did. I, after the finals, we didn't do a podcast. He did Lee Jenkins sports illustrated and did an interview with Chris Haynes. He didn't, I didn't do anything with them. I think we're retired from the pods. We took them as far as, <laughs> Oh really? Yeah, we really? did. We, we, done. Yeah, we did. You. We've, yeah. we've discussed yeah. <laughs> every single thing we could possibly discuss. I don't know if there's much left, but I don't know. The next one, we might have to invite you so you can push the envelope a little bit. Oh no, I like Durant. I think he's, he seems like a uh, it, it, he he does seem like a different person than he was in in Oklahoma City. But I'm not sure why that is. It just maybe it just seems that way. No, I, um, I think he definitely is. I I don't think there's any question. I think the OKC thing um, gave him an edge, not necessarily in the best way. 
I think. Uh, I mean, the Warriors are kind of. I mean, I, this is not a controversial statement. They are a difficult team to like now. Uh, the clearest example being the first game against the Cavs that went into overtime. It's sort of like they should have lost that game four different times. And then in overtime, when it became clear that the Warriors were going to win, they started kind of laughing on the court and acting like the outcome was self-evident. Yeah. And I was like, come on, that looks, ter- that looks terrible. You know, it's like, like if you if you act that way, the whole game is one thing. But like, you know, they, they should not have won that game in any, there's definitely two reasons why they shouldn't have won that game. But. The part that I, I don't understand, and I've asked people, I asked Duran, I've asked different people that work for the team, I asked Steve Kerr, I don't understand why it's been so grueling for them. And they've all explained it. Like even Iguodala, I talked to him when I did the HBO show. I don't remember if we put it in the show or not, but we were just talking about why is this so hard? You guys always talk about how hard is this? Why? You have so much talent. Why Why is this so difficult? Why is this such a grind? And he was just like, it's just every night, night after night, it's the Super Bowl for the other team, you know? And we're doing that from October on. Every game we play is the biggest game of the season for the team we're playing. And we're getting covered nonstop, like, you know, like we're, a pre- we're the president or something. And it's just day after day after day of it, and it wears you down. I guess that makes sense, but it, they're not the first team that's had to go through that, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's probably there's probably some truth in that, but I have generally found in life with all people, if you ask them to describe their career or their work life, they seem to either exaggerate that it's harder than it is or easier than it is. It's very difficult for people to give an accurate sort of description of what their work life is like. It more has to do with their perception and their attitude about work in general. Because people are always sort of acting as though their job is so difficult, they're so hard or so taxing, or, oh, my life is great, it's so easy, it just comes, I'm the luckiest person. Nobody <laughs> ever seems to give a real accurate portrait of what working is like. <laughs> they either yeah. exaggerate it one way or the other, that's true. Hold on, we're going to take a break. Let's talk about Burrow. From style to shipping, comfort to functionality, Burrow has reinvented the luxury couch. These sofas are maximized on comfort and support. Burrow's sofa, handcrafted in the same factories as other high-end retailers, but delivered for much less. Shipped for free, ergonomically designed. They have a built-in USB charger. You can actually customize your Burrow sofa by selecting the color, size, armrest height, and leg color, you can enjoy 30 days of cozy on your comfortable burrow, risk-free, or try burrow at one of their partner showrooms today. We have a couple of these at the Ringer. When I go over to where our, our uh, the website part of our offices are located, I frequently see Brian Curtis and Kevin Clark sitting on burrow sofas, seeming so comfortable they're not actually working. It's frustrating. Go customize your own burrow and get $75 off your order by going to burrow.com slash BS. That is burrow.com slash BS for $75 off your purchase. Burrow makes the luxury couch for real life. Hey, going back to that Warriors thing, do you do you see similarities with when you have these basketball teams that wear down over the course of a few years? I, I think this happened in the Pistons, the uh, Isaiah Thomas Pistons where... 87, 88, they couldn't get over the hump. It was so hard. 89, 90, they win the title. 91, the Bulls knocked them out. 
And then they just, they just kind of like broke. And you see this with bands a lot where bands will have these five to seven year runs and they're done. And I, I feel like that's going to happen with the Warriors. I don't, I don't see this team staying together for 10 years. It seems like we're headed for either it's going to be after this next season or the season after at least one or two of these guys will leave. Like, it's almost like they're destined not to stay together. That this is just the way the league is. And we've seen that with bands, but there's so many bands that they hit this point where they either stay together, or they break up and it happens four years, five years, six years, seven years in, and they usually break up. Do you see similarities with that or am I crazy? Um, well, I mean, in some ways, what you're saying is nothing lasts. And that's true for all things, right? I mean, very few things that are valuable just sort of exist eternally. Um, sports actually kind of pushes that because it has trades and free agency and all this stuff. Bands, is, I think a lot, a lot of it has to do with, you know, you, you tend to start a band when you're relatively young. It's rare that you would start a band late in life, so you do it when you're a young person. And a handful of years means a lot. I mean, the difference between being 21 and 29 is substantial. Uh, you're a totally different person. I was a totally different person at 29 than I was at 21. So it would have been odd for me to start a business with three of my friends when I was 21 and just think it was going to go on forever. Right. Um, I mean, how many bands can you think of like kind of, you know, major bands who it's the original lineup and it never changes. I mean, like, well, you too is the biggest example. ZZ top is a big example. Um, I think the band Sloan is like that, uh, that they haven't had any lineup changes. Um, who else? It would be some other, it's, it's not a lot major not a lot. bands. Yeah. It's hard. You know, it's hard to find groups like that. So, uh, staying together is actually much more the exception. Like it, sh- it shouldn't be surprising if these things happen. It should be more surprising if they don't. Well, the similarities I would say is that you, in a band or in an NBA team, it's three or four people that really matter. Right. And that's it. And maybe even two maybe two and a half, wherever you want to say, but it's the relationships and the way they mesh in every aspect of their life that keeps it going. And we've seen the same thing both times. Once they start to either, Oh, that guy's getting more than me. Um, Oh, why, why do people like him? Oh, what, what, you know, they're fighting over a girl, like whatever the hell can happen. Yeah, That's okay. when it goes well, south. Or- I guess it's always like, okay, Radiohead's a band that hasn't had any changes. So Radiohead's a band with one guy who's clearly the leader, a second guy who's absolutely essential, the essential guy's brother is in the band, so that kind of simplifies things. The drummer seems like a real sort of understated person who just likes to sort of be involved. Um, so then it's really just the last, it's, it's the last guitar player. Also, I think the the way the 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 way the money is distributed probably plays a role in this, you know? So did you, did you hear about this podcast? Cause the Kyrie LeBron thing, I think ties into all this, right? Kyrie just decided he didn't like playing with LeBron anymore and he just had it. And it, there wasn't really any great reason for it. Like there's this podcast that, uh, Dave McMenamin, 
Joe Varden and Jason Lloyd, three guys who covered the Cavs. They did this long podcast about it. And um, I didn't even know about it. Jay Kang, uh, my old Grantland teammate, sent me this link that kind of summarized it. But it was all about like, Kyrie didn't like Mike Brown because Larry Hughes, a client of Kyrie's agent, already had a bad relationship with Brown. Kyrie didn't like Ty Lue very much because he felt like he felt like uh, Ty Lue was on LeBron's side. Kyrie was mad because he was the first one to wear the uh, I Can't Breathe shirt and, uh, and LeBron wore it after him, but LeBron got the credit for wearing it. It was all like a little stupid shit like that, but it added up and then Kyrie wanted to trade. Yeah, well, that doesn't sound implausible to me. I mean, there's got to be some explanation that happened. That's as good as any. Um, and I, 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 I wouldn't have, I assume the bedrock reason is that in all of these situations, you know, like you say, like this t-shirt deal, what he's basically saying is like, even though I did something, the other guy is seen as being um, uh, the important ass person who did it. You know, whatever I do, no matter what I, how I succeed, it's always going to be seen as ancillary to this other person. Particularly that if we win five championships, I'm remembered as the guy who is LeBron's teammate on these five championships. So maybe he thought. This is not, you know, I, uh, I want something different out of my life. And here again, like I say, because the money's so big now, it's almost not even a factor, you know, um, the title stuff, interesting how the NBA has really found a way or, or accidentally made that so important to a person's legacy in a way that you just don't see in other sports. I, it's kind of become the whole thing. And I guess he'd already achieved it once though. So, well, that's part of it, right? Yeah. He won. So it's like, well, screw this. I don't need this anymore. I think what Durant said in my pot about him too, I think, I think it's true. I think he just wants to play basketball and he didn't like the other bullshit that came with it. He just wanted to show up and, and hoop. I, I'm worried as a Celtics fan, I'm worried that there's a Durant Kyrie partnership looming down the road is, is my fear. Of, of well, the, I, I would know you have special access to these guys. Oh, like, I'm, stop. I'm only on the outside looking. Well, no, you, you know, who knows what you know that I don't know that you know, how am I supposed to know this? <laughs> you know, I'm just, I'm just somebody uh, just kind of following this sort of, you know, from a distance, you're more in the mix. Well, I, I know, think we're in an era now. Yeah. I think we're in an era now yeah. where people become buddies and they decide they just want to play together. Well, maybe that's how the media works now too. Well, maybe that's how Grantland worked. We said, <laughs> yeah. we said we launched Grantland. We were both at it. We wanted to play together. <laughs> uh, we're going to take a break. Hey, let's talk about Ringer Podcast quickly. If you don't know about all of the Ringer Podcasts we have, here's just a sampling. Did you know Larry Wilmore has a podcast called Black on the Air? Did you know Cousin Sal has a gambling podcast called Against All Odds? What about Joe House's eating podcast, House of Carbs? What about Mallory Rubin and Jason Concepcion banging out binge mode Harry Potter? They're doing like 70 episodes. Did you know One Shining Podcast with Mark Titus and Tay Frazier is continuing through the summer and that they're doing podcasts on, on uh, in from Vegas right now? Do you know about the Dave Chang show? He did a two-part podcast with Alan Yang recently. That was awesome. 
I think you know about the rewatchables because we've done some awesome ones. What about the JJ Reddick podcast? Still doing going through the summer. What about the Ringer MLB show? What about the Ringer NFL show coming back? What about the watch with Andy Greenwald and Chris Ryan? What about the Mass Man show with the one and only David Schumacher? What about On Shuffle, our new podcast with Michael Peters about music? That's pretty much been excellent right away. Channel 33 has the press box and the big picture and jam session and damage control and all of kind of our high IQ pods. Not that our other podcasts aren't high IQ, but this is those are the deep dive conversation ones. Bachelor Party, Juliet Lippman, talking Bachelor nonstop. Shack House, Joe House, Jeff Shackelford, banging out golf. Ringer FC has been live through the World Cup. That's how many podcasts we have. I think I just named them all. The rewatchables, the recapables. Yeah, that's it. Check it out. The Ringer Podcast. Subscribe to them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Back to Chuck. Uh, I I noticed that you guys you that you you speaking of Grantlin. I guess this is a, this is a Ringer thing. You I was mentioned in a piece you guys ran about the death of soccer trolls. Yeah, um, I want to talk about that. I di- I didn't well, even really know, remember I, you I being a, a World Cup I, troll. I would, I saw that they, they referenced something I wrote 15 years ago. Totally understandable since I'm an impossible person to find now. Like, how could you possibly find me? <laughs> this, is, this is great. I'm, I'm glad you brought this up. This was on my <laughs> list. You, you kind of, you don't really care about soccer either way now, right? Well, no, I mean, like, in some ways, that was the ultimate, that was the ultimate soccer piece. Because it's like, the American soccer fan is upset even if you're not talking about him yeah it's like it's like you're teasing me you're teasing me you're mocking me oh why aren't you talking about me it's like um uh uh, do i i mean i haven't really i've i I mean i was in a world cup or i guess i'm still in a world cup pool so i've sort of been following the outcomes um i saw the shootout the russia croatia shootout um but I haven't really watched a lot of the games. Have you, have you been watching them? I guess this has been a very close World Cup. All the games seem close. So you've not, you still haven't bought in. 2018, you're still not watching. You just say, it's well, not no, for you. I mean, it's not for you. It's, I mean, it would, it's not, it's, I, 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 I guess I, I would if, if you know, under different circumstances, it's not like I've, it's not like I would walk away from watching it. I just haven't really been watching it at all. Um, you know, uh, trying to think of, see, I, I, maybe I watched the very beginning, the very beginning of the, of the world cup. Maybe I saw a little bit of it there, but not too much. No, I will have say that watching a lot of it. I have. And I will say the single most surprising thing to me about this decade was soccer, basically replacing baseball for people. I would say under 35. I, I think I think baseball is in a colossal amount of trouble and the attendance is starting to back it up and just the interest and just having run two different websites and since 2011 through 2018, the appetite for people just to read and follow baseball day to day just isn't there anymore. You follow your own team. You don't really care about what's going on with other teams. We've seen this coming for a while, but this was the first year where I really feel like like baseball's in trouble as like a monster sport. I, I just don't think well, but I don't think you, it's going to grow. What do you mean when you say it's in trouble? What do you, I mean I, what, what, what do you mean by that though? Like what what what's going to happen? Do you think that 
in 20 years there will not be Major League Baseball? No, you I think, think that pro baseball players in 20 years will be making $60,000 a year. I don't know what's going to happen. It's, it's eats up a lot of innings from a live right standpoint. So I think from that standpoint, it's always going to be pretty good, but I'm just amazed by people under 35 that for a variety of reasons, they just don't, they don't really care about baseball. And I'm sure there's exceptions, oh. but the, I think he, there's a million different factors, right? There's, they, they were showing all these world series games after these little kids were in bed. Like we, you've heard all the factors we've talked about them over and over again, mm-hmm. but I think the length of the game, um, the fact that, you know, even now when, when you go to the games, half the people are on their phones. I got LAFC MLS tickets and you go to these games and people are into it and it's two hours and you're out. And I think what's happened with soccer the last I don't know, 12 years with the TVs going widescreen, with the HD, with the uh, the FIFA game, which is the biggest sports video game, I think, of the last 12 years for younger people. And then the Premier League and the, the people showing them and the World Cup, all of this is built to this point that I can just judge it from the people that work for the ringer. They care about soccer more than baseball. Like, it's just a fact. I, well, you know what? I, I'm absolutely certain that is the case but i guess here's the one thing i would say in response anytime we're looking at the popularity of anything the idea is always like well, what are young people what are people 18 to 15? okay and everyone makes the same mistake every single time they seem to think that what people who are 18 to 30 years old are into is what's just going to remain popular going forward and all that happens is they're replaced by a new set of 18 and 30 year olds who have different tastes and different interests. And the whole thing happens again. So I really think if a sport like baseball, if I was, you know, it, you know, is it baseball an old man sport? Well, maybe so. There's always going to be old men. That's always going to happen. That's always going to exist. There's always going to be the kind of person who wants to follow baseball to so look at young people and say like, well, okay. Younger people are interested in A more than B. I guess A is what's popular now. A is going to be replaced by C because that's the difficulty of trying to chase young audiences. They never remain static. But the pro- here's, here's the counter to that. The audience ages into an audience that still likes soccer when they're 30 to 45, right? Are you sure? That- were you, how, big, how, how many people who watch golf were golf fans when they were 15? Well, golf's, Not many. golf's different. You, you kind of be you age so, into golf. Yeah. I think with soccer, I look at somebody like Mbappe on France, who's the 19 year old prodigy. I just think he's already more famous and popular than any baseball player you could throw at me. And especially for that's, people that's in America, probably true. Yeah, they yeah. like Evan. How old are you? Evan's producing pocket. Do your friends care about soccer or baseball more? Yeah, it's. I wouldn't know this unless we had this website and I was around people every day who all they care, like this Ronaldo transferring to Juventus, that, that was bigger than any baseball story that could have happened. Any baseball trade, any baseball free agent signing, it just mattered more. I don't think that would have been the case 12 years ago. Why do you believe, why do you believe though in 20 years, there will not be people having a conversation like this saying, I think soccer is really in trouble. People are much more in, to like esports now, the young people I talk that, to are more into that. It's like that's going to happen. It'd that like, might it, happen. And, I and agree. It, it, well, something like that will happen because it, it always does. 
There's but, no point. You can't go back to any point in the last hundred years and look at what young people were into culturally and say, you know what? That never changed. Well, I think here's how, here's what I would compare it to. I would compare it to when the NBA started to really take off in the eighties, the seeds were there Mm -hmm. in the fifties, sixties, seventies. And then for whatever reason, the combination of more TV games the popularity of the players, the branding stuff, all of it kind of collided. And at that point in the mid eighties, you could have made the same argument about the NBA you're, 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 you are making now where it's like, well, young people 20 years from now, but the NBA is still here and it's bigger than ever. And all those fans aged into being able to buy tickets and raise kids that like the league and that the NBA is not going away. All the stories that ran in the nineties after Jordan retired and, and suddenly the ratings dipped. And there were all these people saying, like, were people into basketball or were they just into this one guy? It seemed like basketball was into Those stories again. were stupid, and though. Then, I, I never, I never they, bought they into that now, stuff. No, nah, it was... Well, it was well, that seemed to me like... It, it seemed like a more race-driven thing than anything. It seemed like you had a lot of black <laughs> athletes making a lot of money and people were pissed off about it. That, that was really the no, fundamental problem people, in the NBA in the it 90s. Was people looking, it was people looking at a slight dip in popularity of a sport and, and overacting come up with explanations why, yeah, but you this, know, and it's, this baseball thing isn't a slight dip though. You're talking about attendance is down like 20% this year and TV ratings are down and look at ESPN. ESPN doesn't even have okay. baseball tonight anymore. Yeah. They don't run so, baseball okay, tonight. If I was you making your argument, what I would say is this, I would say, well, soccer is a more global sport. And the natural momentum of the internet and kind of the world in general is to become more global. So it does seem possible that soccer will kind of continue to have more traction in the United States because the, uh, you know, the, the next generation and coming generations will look at sports in a more global sense. And they will think like, well, you know, I'm not just interested in what's happening in America. There's an obligation for me to sort of also know what's going on in Europe and the Premier League and all these things. So that's possible. It might be that, like, uh, suddenly we will be interested in soccer players from other countries the way that's already happened. people in Germany are, you know, yes, that's, you know. But I'm saying, like, in the, uh, uh, that, this will, that that will continue, and that would be the thing, because, because the way you keep looking at this is, that these sports are star-driven things. I'm, like when you talk about the NBA's popularity, you often say things like, I'd say seven or eight of the 10 most popular athletes in America are basketball players. And that is true. The NBA is still less popular than football. Okay. Despite the fact that there are more famous basketball players than famous football players. Well, football's in trouble for a different reason. It is. It is. It's in, in, in trouble the way like, because it has this sort of kind of looming crisis ahead of itself. It's a tobacco industry. Yeah. It's a tobacco industry kind of thing that's hanging over it. But listen, I'm just talking about soccer in America. I think globally Mm -hmm. soccer has been there the whole time. It almost goes without saying I'm talking about people, the way the culture is now, the way people like faster things, they like, they don't want to spend four hours watching a baseball game. Soccer is two 45 minute halves and it's over. And I think it's a real advantage for it. And the whole thing about soccer is too boring. Nobody scores. People understand soccer much better than they, I know I do. I, I understand soccer 
a hundred times better than I did 15 years ago. I actually, I can watch a one nothing game and, and legitimately enjoy it. And I would not have been able to do that in 2004. Yeah. Well, you know, I think, and a lot of people said that about tennis in the early eighties when there was a tennis boom happening. And all of a sudden people were saying, Oh, I get tennis. Now I understand the nuance. I understand why, you know, McEnroe plays in this style and board plays in this style. And then those guys went away and it kind of, it kind of didn't evaporate, but it kind of eroded with it. I mean, I'm not, it's, you know, you're right. Soccer is obviously the things that I wrote in 2003 about soccer, never having the potential to become popular in the United States. Clearly it was proven wrong. Like By I, the way, wrong about I agreed with you. Soccer, until I w- yeah. For the, for the record, I 1000% agreed with you when in 2003, I didn't think this would ever yeah, happen. You know, I never, ever, ever. Okay envision a world where people would care about soccer in America like they do, but they do. And here's the thing. Okay. When I wrote that in 2003, it wasn't a provocative opinion. It was the conventional opinion. Okay. That was the conventional perception of people who were into sports. And I was a young person. I was 28 or whatever, you know? Um, and that changed. Okay. And now you're looking at this change and you're saying, see, this is how it is now, but it's only how it is right now. But like I, th- I think it's been this way. Yeah. I think it's been this way since the earlier part of the decade. I really feel like it's been building. And the fact that America is not in the World Cup and people still give a shit about it would have been impossible 12 years ago. Nobody would have believed that. But people care. I'm just, tell- yeah, yeah, I'm just telling do. you what I'm yeah. seeing. I don't. Yeah. When is the last baseball argument you've had? Do you argue about anything with baseball? Have you heard a baseball argument that compels you? <laughs> no, you know what the arguments always are. It was like like a recent one was like, let's say uh, Mike Trout became really political. Like he became sort of like a <laughs> left-wing ideologue. Would that help baseball? It would. Like the, you know, or, it would totally help uh, it. If he was like uh, a, a MAGA guy? If he, well, if he no, was just... Well, if, he, if he was... Well, you're saying... Uh, this, this argument was, what if he went... Super hard left. Uh, well, I'm saying either. Right. Yeah. Either. Any, um, any sort of any interesting, anything with the baseball player would help baseball right now. The Red Sox are, have the, the second oh, best think, record in the league, and they're going to be in a one-card wild-card game and get knocked out. And I'm going to have spent... By the way, I still love baseball, just for the record. I still watch baseball. I care about it. I'm, I can, fantasy I league. I'm 48 two, years old. I can see... I can see two situations that would immediately create a huge interest in baseball. I think if somebody was batting 400 in late August, or particularly if somebody had a hitting streak that was rivaling DiMaggio, I think that would create a bunch of interest. I agree. Those two things are covered in different ways, and people like to have something they can follow every day. You know, you say like in baseball, you follow your own team. If there's a guy to follow every day to see, is he going to do this? I used to think that about home runs, but now, of course, if somebody was going to hit 80 home runs, we'd immediately be skeptical of it. Well, but I don't know. Pure hitting. We wrote it's, about it's, like we wrote about this on the on the Ringer this week. It's basically strikeouts and home runs now to the point that it's dangerous for baseball because when you watch baseball, um, I think Tom Verducci had some stat that it's like every three minutes and forty seven seconds, there's a ball put in play during the average baseball game, which is just a nutty number. And it doesn't, the real problem is it doesn't really fit into what society is like now. And I just know this from watching my kids. My kids would never sit through a four hour baseball game. 
I delightedly would have done it 40 years ago. That continues, though. You know, it's so interesting, you know, when they talk about, you know, in the 80s when MTV was on, people were like, this is going to destroy people's attention span. People were like, oh, what an old person idea. That actually really did happen. I mean, you pretty much clearly see how the evolution of television, all the negative things people suspected television would do have actually happened exactly in every context. Um, So if this continues... Even if this continues, even a soccer game, you know, a non, a, a continual motion commercial free event will become too much, and they'll somehow want the game to be, you know, seen in a smaller window. However, okay, you're right, but baseball doesn't seem to fit in to where society is, and soccer does. I mean, there is still sort of this, uh, um, I don't know what's what's the positive connotation of the word baggage. Because uh, I was going to say soccer has this baggage, but it's not baggage. It's something they like. Where to per- if, if you sort of perceive and present yourself as a soccer fan in the United States, you are latently saying, "I'm kind of intellectual." Like I see, this- <laughs> I like I this. Okay, <laughs> it's like oh, you see a game where nothing's happening, and I see all of these things happening because you know I'm a little more sophisticated. This is part of. I think the allure of soccer to a lot of smart young people that it's almost a way to brand yourself as a smarter kind of sportsman. And if soccer continues to grow in popularity, when all of a sudden, you know, you walk into, um, you know, um, like a small rural bar and a bunch of guys are watching a soccer game on the television, that's going to disappear. The meaning behind being a soccer fan will end. And uh, I think that that will be, Disenchanting well, to a lot of the people now who love soccer. I've been shocked. Like I took my son to uh, an LAFC game. He didn't want to go. He hates soccer. He never wanted to play soccer. He doesn't want to watch it. He dislikes it. And my wife and my daughter and I were going. We're like, you have to come. You're you're only ten years old. You don't get to decide. He's like, hey. he's, he's mad about it. So we go. He had a great time. Guess what? It's really fun to go to a soccer game. And guess what else? It ends in two hours. And you go and you eat. It's a 45-minute half. You got a nice break. Another 45-minute half, you're out. And it was just really entertaining. They do a nice job with the crowd. And and uh, I'm just kind of, I'm just shocked by the whole thing. My son loves going to baseball games way more. My son likes baseball, which is, he's in the minority. Like he's loves going to Fenway Park, loves going to Dodger Stadium, all that stuff. But I don't know if there's a lot of kids like that. And that's, well, that's I, a problem too. I don't either, but it's, you know, I, 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 I guess I still question your methodology on this. It just what do you it mean? seems to me that, well, you know, it's it, a lot of what you're saying might be true, but you're, you're making that mistake of thinking that somehow the world's going to stop and continue as it is. Like things are going to keep changing. I'm not. So when we're trying to predict the future trajectory of these things. You have to, you know, you're talking about how your kid and his friends feel about baseball. He's in the minority ever. He likes baseball more, whatever. But if we use the 10 year old kid in the mind of the 10 year old kid as the example, we have to assume there's going to be a totally different 10 year old in 10 years, like totally different person. So his behavior doesn't really indicate the future of anything except his own life. I think four hour games every day three to four hour games every single day for six straight months is not a sustainable entertainment proposition for anybody under 30 years old. 
they're just uh, they have too many things to too many opportunities now and too many chances and too many and too many options to just be like I'm throwing away all my other options I'm just going to sit in front of the TV and watch a 4 hour baseball game I don't see it and I also think but do they does the, does the support does the, does the success of the sport depend on someone willing to invest their time in the entire event I would say if if you have people under 40 and you're losing that entire demo that's bad for the sport basketball I I still even in the late seventies, early eighties, when it wasn't going well, I still knew a ton of people who, lo- who loved basketball and loved watching all these different players. Like it, I never felt like the league was, you know, whether cocaine was going to ruin the league, I guess was a different story, but uh, I never felt like basketball was going away. And I don't think baseball will either, but I just think when you're talking about these guys making $400 million contracts, all that stuff, I, I don't see how that's the case 20 years from now. I don't think the money. I don't think the money will be there. Well, I mean, the money will still be there, but it will be. You know, it's twenty years, so you got to look at inflation cutting it in half. Oh I mean, yeah, at yeah. Some point, I guess like, inflation. These guys are still going to be. They'll, they'll probably be making this. You know, I mean, it would be an interesting. But here's an interesting deal. Okay, so what is? I mean, I this kind of blew my mind. I was, you know, we were talking about. I was talking to somebody about the old, um, the old. Uh, super super team competition ABC used to run I love along with the oh yeah you know where it'd be like where it'd be like the team like you know the Steelers when the Steelers weren't allowed to play their owner wouldn't let them play or whatever but it'd be like the Rams were in the Super Bowl against the Steelers so they would they'd like have a tug of war and all these races and all these things you know against these teams in Hawaii and we were t- and somebody was like why did the players even do that you know and then when I started going back and like looking at what. It was the money. Like the average salary of these yeah. guys were. And like they would almost do it for a free trip to Hawaii. These guys are making like $75,000 a year playing pro football. Do you know, you probably do, if you're a rookie on a 10-day contract in the NBA, do you know what the minimum of that is? Isn't it like seventy five grand? I think it's like 28000 for 10 days. Oh, the 10 okay. days itself. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's still amazing. And that's like a rookie. So you have no, if you're a veteran, it's more. Okay. So that's like what a teacher's aide in Mississippi makes. And you know, for 10 days of uh, yeah. a 10 day contract in the NBA where you never touch the floor. Um, you know, so it, it's, it's just the, 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 it's just the money and the numbers now are so astronomical that even if 20 years from now, baseball players are making exactly what they make now, like if it doesn't increase at all, and you assume inflation cuts the value of the dollar in half, it, they're still insane numbers. So, I mean, I, I guess I just, I don't know what but, baseball being in trouble means. I, I, I just, I don't, I, I don't really know what you mean by that outside of people saying it's the second most popular sport in America, which nobody would say anymore. Well, I think that's what I mean by in trouble. I don't, I just think there's a relevancy that it's losing. I was watching uh the Sammy Sosa E60, which was on a high comedy scale, probably a nine out of 10. Jeremy Schapp, he at one point Sosa gets up. He's got the Michael Jackson lightened skin. Like it's just a, it's a crazy half hour. But they go back to 98, the Sosa McGuire thing. And I, I just don't know if that happens again. I don't know if, if two guys having a home run chase or whatever the equivalent, unless it's a scenario, like you said, where somebody's trying to get 56 hit straight hits in, in uh, the challenge to Maggio or somebody's trying to hit 400. I don't see any scenario where that happens again. 
and or where people would care about baseball that much and be totally invested in these guys. I don't even think ESPN would be all in behind it anymore. And I don't know, shit just changes. And one other thing we forgot to mention, um, the way people talk about baseball, because it's so stat obsessed that there's not a lot of wig room left for arguments anymore. You know, where like the Lakers sign Rondo. You and I could talk about Rondo. We could argue about Rondo for two hours, right? We or actually yeah. we're on, we're on the same page with Rondo. We both we're both pro Rondo. But if we had yeah. if if we had an anti Rondo person, we could go back and forth on Rondo for two hours. I could argue about Russell Westbrook until the cows come home. We could argue about whether Kyrie should have left LeBron and is Kyrie a superstar. The NBA has all these built in arguments that kind of are outliers from stats. And with baseball, you're not allowed to have those arguments. You can't. It's everything has to be backed up by the numbers and you can't be like, well, actually I don't think like you can never have a Russell Westbrook type argument about Bryce Harper or Mookie Betts. Like you just can't. So you're basically, you're just kind of trapped in this dialogue. That's just all numbers based. And that's really it. You can be like, Oh man, I hate when Dylan Betances pitches the eighth. I never feel like he's going to come through. And that might actually not be the case. Statistically, it might be the opposite. And then it's like where you can't argue about it. So I I, I yeah, wonder if that hurts baseball. baseball. Baseball went too far with that. I mean, they just, it was, they, there was, you know, there was a period when people didn't care about statistics enough. And then suddenly they cared about them too much. They were just, uh, that, that was an equilibrium that was not, because, you know, people used to even make that joke about baseball, like in the 1980s. Like it seemed crazy that sometimes a guy would come to the plate and they'd show like, what do you hit against right-handers and what do you hit against left-handers? And people right. would be like, oh, baseball is all stats or whatever. You know, this is crazy. And now it's so far beyond that. You know, it's like, it's like that, something like that. It would be more like an argument over, do we, should we even care about batting average? <laughs> right. you, never, you never know what's the new thing we're not supposed to care about. I mean, I, the first time that happens was RBI. Since then, it's just happened constantly. I'm constantly being told what statistics not to think about. Well, it's funny because um, the the baseball people get really mad about this. They're like, well, what are you talking about? The stats are the truth. Why would we argue about anything that other that isn't the truth? I, I'm conceding that. I get that. The stats, we we can measure every baseball player to the ninth degree. I get it. But my point is, if like I'm looking at like, like J.D. Martinez is killing it for the Red Sox this year. He's 28 homers. He's been awesome. He's an MVP candidate. There's no wiggle room with that. That's it. It's like, yeah, J.D.'s been great. Now we've moved on. We're not talking about him at all. 30 years ago, Wade Boggs was hitting like 380 for the 86 Red Sox. And the big argument day after day in Boston was, is Wade Boggs actually good or not? Are these fake stats? He doesn't drive in runs. He doesn't hit for power. Um, is this guy actually worthwhile to have on your team? Now we know with the math, Wade Boggs is actually phenomenal to have on your team. He increases your chances to have runs. But we would argue about Wade Boggs for days and nobody argues about anything with baseball anymore. I don't know. I haven't heard a compelling baseball argument. I don't. I can't even remember the last time. Well, I mean, that's a, and that's a kind of a, that's a compelling arbiter for the success of the sport or anything else. Do you think in general, you can tell the health of something, be it a sport or a film genre or politics or whatever. 
can you can you gauge the health of it by how much people are arguing about it? Possibly, I don't know. That's uh, well. So here's a counter though, like like boxing. People wrote off boxing. Boxing's dead. Boxing's done. Boxing's actually had this weird resurgence over the last year and a half because people need live rights, and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and there's just more of it. And for for years and years, it was like the UFC's killing boxing. UFC, the UFC's the next sport. The UFC's going to be dominant. The UFC is now in the middle of like the worst swoon of probably the last ten years. They don't have any stars. They they. A year and a half ago, they had Rousey and Lesnar and McGregor and John Jones. And, you know, they were just loaded and it just seemed like it was going to last forever. And then a year later, all of those people were gone. So that that's a good example of like, don't get carried away in the moment of, oh, this is the next thing. And then, but I, I think that, I think soccer, I think soccer is here to stay in a really, really big way. And I think it, I, I just think people get it. They understand it better. And uh, and I don't see it going away. I really don't. Well, I mean, you you might be right. I mean, I'm, we're just two guys talking here, obviously. I mean, I I I definitely feel less stable about every opinion I have about everything. It seems as though it's <laughs> it's becoming more and more. I am here. Here's a great example. Can you remember? I say like you know, I drive around listening to the radio now, and I listen to a lot of sports talk radio. And because I have, you know, the, it's like the. The satellite radio. If you if you're listening, if I'm listening to a sports talk show, the person's name keeps scrolling across the the you know the 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 the, the, the face of the radio. So I'm seeing who's talking. And I don't do this every day, so occasionally a guy's name will come across or a woman's name will come across, and I realize I know nothing about the person, and yet I find myself already having opinion an opinion about them and i'm like how can this be and, more, and, and it keeps happening over and over again i'll see someone's name and i'll be like oh yeah this guy this guy's a racist right or i'll like someone's name will come across and i'll be like oh this this broadcaster she is a frothing feminist who only sees sports through that one prism or some guy will come across and i'll be like oh he's everyone likes him he's a he's a real intellectual guy and i realize i don't know anything about these people so I'm thinking, my, and I'm listening to them in almost every case, the opinion I have going in is wrong. But that's not really an accurate depiction of this thing that I learned. And it had to, it has to have been Twitter. That somehow I saw people making statements about these individuals. And even though I did not take those statements seriously, because I had nothing else to compare it to, it just sort of merged in my mind. The internet does not seem to have a huge impact on the things I know about but it has a massive impact on the things I don't know about because mm. I'm getting no other information. And it's making me think things uh, based on nothing or based on one thing, which is the kind of person who likes to have opinions on Twitter, which typically means somebody who is kind of performative, somebody who is probably an ideologue um, and somebody who might have, some elements of mental illness who sort of needs to sort of consistently have uh, uh, feedback from the public to validate that they exist. And this is who we've turned the discourse over to. Like we basically said, you guys get to dictate sort of the collective discourse because you want it the most, like you're the most interested in doing that. Um, So I don't, it's, I I, I just, I feel like, I feel like I look at the world and I, I just, I understand it less every day. Well, people are definitely reading less. 
I think. Well, what they're reading more. They're just not reading. Yeah, they're reading. They're reading fragments. They're just like, yeah, you know, uh, they're kind of reading all day. But it's I include not myself. A different kind of reading. I used to read books constantly, and now I feel like I've I've probably read led less books in the last twelve years than at any point in the last, I would say, forty years of my life. That's not well, good. You know, and, and but there's also these other strange things happening, right? Okay, so we want to talk about Chappaquiddick today. So you sent me a story about Chappaquiddick, right, from the National Review okay? in, from 1969. What is, what is the likelihood? that you would have been reading the National Review if the internet didn't exist. Oh, zero. What well, you know, zero. And what is the possibility of a real conservative person reading a story in the nation if not for the internet? Zero. But this is why there's like part of the reason there's so much tension in society now. Because you would think, you know, if you were like a real sort of optimistic person, you'd be like, well, great. You know, it's like now somebody on the left is reading the National Review and someone on the right is reading the nation, it's going to cross-pollinate ideas and they're going, that's not happening at all. Because publications like that are only intended for their base. They're written for their base. So anybody outside of their base reading those publications is only going to become enraged. Yeah, It's only going to make them upset. And because now it's very easy to sort of get to find anything and just have free access to anything, people are going to be less happy about how they view the information they're taking in because they're not really making the decision. They're just sort of following links. Well, and then when people, when they're super left or super right, a lot of their tweets are directed toward the people that are following them who are most likely to agree with them. And that opens up its own can of worms. It's violent disagreement. Someone coming from the outside violently disagrees with them. Everyone following them violently agrees with them. And there's no nuance anymore. Like the discussion we had about baseball just now, I bet somebody's going to get pissed off and write a blog post about it. We just, two people talking about baseball. Hey, what are the reasons this could be? You're you're not allowed to have a nuanced conversation about anything. It has to be, you have to be all the way in one side or the other. Baseball is really complicated. I don't know what it's going to look like 20 years from now. I'm not pretending I do. I just know that it's not resonating with young people well, anymore. Well, you're kind of pretending you do because you keep saying it's trouble over and over again. Well, I think it's so in trouble do, as a as a major <laughs> enterprise. Yeah. I don't think it's going to die. I don't think we're never going to have baseball anymore. I just think, I, I don't know what happens to it. I think they're eventually, it's going to lead to, they're going to have to change rules. I think they're going to have to speed it up. They're going to have to figure out how to do it. And they've done this half-assed versions of it, but- People do not want to watch a four-hour baseball game. They don't. So they well, have yeah, to fix I, I that. I get asked about, okay, because I so often write and I'm so jaded with like classic rock and rock music in general, I am often the person who gets asked, you know, is this the end of rock music? Is rock music dead? I sort of write in the, in, but what if we're wrong? I have a whole section sort of about the end of the rock era and why I think that happens. But to say something, to say rock music is dead, what you're really saying is it's just not the normative condition of music. I mean, jazz still exists. Jazz is just not central to society. So there can still be great rock bands. Like a new rock band could emerge today and make the greatest rock record of all time. But 
it's impossible for that band to be the Beatles or to be Van Halen or to even be the Strokes or, you know, any of these. It's like that can't happen now because the genre in which works is no longer central to the world. Now, could that be the situation with baseball? Maybe it's already happened, okay? But does that matter to the person who likes baseball? I don't know if it does. Like, are, are you enjoying no. the NBA more? I you love enjoy the NBA more when it's more popular. No, I I just told you, I still love baseball. I still watch it. Yeah. I still care about it. I haven't, my feelings about it haven't really changed other than that. I don't think it's nearly as fun to go to games anymore. I used to, 20 years ago, that would have been my number one dream of Red Sox season tickets. I, I wouldn't want baseball season tickets now. So, but I still love because, watching. Because, because baseball has changed or because you have changed? I would say both. I also think... Well, it has changed more. Well, it's kind of crazy. I was on a plane recently and they have some of those old Ken Burns baseball episodes on. Yeah. And I was watching the one, I was watching the section about the 20s, you know, and it is surprising that if you see a little footage from the distant world of baseball, it doesn't look radically different than baseball now. It certainly looks different, but compared to every other sport, it looks more the same. Okay. Like you like it, um, or particularly if like, say it's a still, like a still from center field of a baseball game from 1928. It looks like that could be a baseball game now where the guys are standing, everything about it. Even a static shot of a basketball game or certainly a football game seems to have, you know, no similarity. Now, if we're, if we were planning a sport, if we were say, let's say you and I were making up a sport right now, what would you favor? a sport that constantly changes or a sport that has sort of a, uh, sort of a stable, um, inflexible, um, sort of, uh, nature, but the sport that we create will be the sport that it is. I would say basketball well, is well, basketball for where, for whatever age we're at now. is no, the perfect I'm sport. I'm saying we're making up a sport. Would no, I know. I know. Idea to have? Yeah, yeah. But I would try to steal as much from basketball in whatever the modern sport, because the thing with basketball is it's just constant. It's ADD, basically. It's like every possession's different. Something's always happening. There's always the potential for something. So you'd want that, I think. And I don't know. I, I don't know what the answer is, but it would be it would be something that moves fast, is designed for this ADD generation, and always has something happening. Yeah, okay, well, I'm trying to think of, you know, what, uh, so always has something happening now. Now, does that, does that, are you describing soccer when you say that? I wouldn't say, it seems to me that soccer and the sort of the pacing of the event, um, what sport would you say it's most similar to? I guess hockey, right? Hockey is the closest analogy if you have, if you, of the major sports. Hockey is the closest analogy to the flow of a soccer game. People aren't interested in hockey in any major way. I would say like people love hockey. No, I would say baseball. I actually think soccer has replaced. Okay. Ba- I think it's replaced a lot of the things that people loved about baseball for certain people. Because sort of the kind of like the casual watching experience. It's on. You're also reading something and talking to someone. You can look and look back, and nothing has really changed. In that way, I guess it is like baseball. But there's right? a lot of nuances to it. The advanced metrics that have gotten a lot better over the last five years resembles a lot of what started happening 
in baseball in the late nineties, early two thousands. And, uh, and it's one of those things where there's not a lot going on, but there's a lot going on. And the more you know about it, the more, you know, there's just a lot going on. But if you're watching it casually, you're just watching guys kind of running around and hoping somebody scores. The other thing with soccer is the, the women's national team here is its own kind of monster. You know, I think when we have the world cup next year, it's going to dominate this course here for three weeks. And Baseball doesn't have that version of that where it can pull in all these female fans or little girls or people who might idolize um, the whoever the next Abby Wambach is. I guess Alex Morgan. Um, no, it's not Alex Morgan. I don't know who I don't know who the who the next one is going to be for the women's soccer, but it's pulling in all these different demos constantly. I guess is my point, and it's attracting kids. Have you been to a baseball game this year? Oh, no. I mean, first of all, there's no baseball team here, but I mean, if there was, I would be, I don't, I don't really go to live sporting events. That so much. one thing that's changed baseball in person and they had to do it, but it has to be mentioned is the net. They put this net all the way around both dugouts. So people wouldn't get hit by foul balls anymore. But it made me realize that one of the reasons I love going to baseball games was because of the possibility of getting a foul ball is really significant. Mm -hmm. And to have that removed was really a game changer. It just didn't feel the same. It was like, wow, this sucks. I mean, I We're not going to get a foul know, ball. It is, it is any kind of barrier like that probably does have a psychological aspect, you know, in the same way that distance is a barrier. If you're a long ways away from a sporting event, it's not the same as being close. Not just because you can see it better if you're close, but you can sort of feel the game in a way. Yeah, you feel detached. Um, but it was, it was weird. It was a weird experience. And it made me realize, first of all, I never caught a foul ball. I came close a few times. It made me realize how meaningful the foul ball, the possibility of every pitch being the one that this could be the foul ball I've been waiting to catch my whole life. And now it's just gone. Now you're just at the game as I have no chance. Um, so I saw the Chappaquiddick movie. I listened to the podcast cover up that uh, the narrative podcast that's not done yet, but most of it's done. And I realized that I, I've done a bad job of being properly obsessed by this topic. And I love doing deep dives. You and I once did a gigantic JFK assassination podcast on my old BS report. We did, also did the disappearing airplane flight. I think we did a podcast mm -hmm. about that too. So as I started deep diving into Chappaquiddick, I texted the only man who could have cared as much as I cared in that moment, uh, Chuck Klosterman, who I asked if you had seen the movie and you were like, I went to the theater and see it and saw it and I never go to the theater. So yeah, we found out. I saw the opening afternoon. The, the afternoon it came out, I went to. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I realized deep diving this that it's, it's kind of the most underrated, incredible American story we've had in the last 50 years that I don't think people under, Evan, do you know what Chappaquiddick is? Evan doesn't know. So no, I think people under 35, they probably don't even totally know this happened or they heard it or whatever. The, the background is Ted Kennedy, Senator of Massachusetts, youngest brother of Jack and Bobby, both of whom had died. Bobby had died the year before. He's in Martha's Vineyard. He's with a group of males and females who worked for Bobby Kennedy's campaign. They're having the year, the year anniversary. Mostly women though. Mostly they were women. Like the boiler room girls or something or the boiler room gals. The boiler room gals. Yeah, so okay. at some point, name. at some point, Ted leaves. And also, also nobody seems to know they're there. Like nobody, like, like, like Ted Kennedy's wife doesn't seem to know he's there. No. I mean, it's, just, <laughs> it's the sixties. It's just what yeah. it's the Don Draper. Era. 
Ted leaves with with one of the ladies, Mary Jo Kopechny. It's unclear when he leaves. He's spotted by uh, uh, Martha's Vineyard. Where was it? A Chappaquiddick or Edgartown? I can't remember. So one of the police people saw his car heading down the wrong road and it was stopped. And he pulled over and got out of the car. And then the the what we think was the Ted Kennedy car maybe panicked and sped down the wrong road. It was a road called Dyke Road that uh, was a dirt road, had potholes and bumps, all this stuff. The road next to it was the road toward the ferry. Now this, this, this sergeant said he saw the car at 1230. The ferry was already gone at that point. The last ferry off uh, Chappaquiddick was at, at midnight. This car goes flying down this road and we think it's the same car. It ends up, there's a turn, misses the turn and f- goes off the bridge, lands upside down with half of the car sticking out of the water. Ted Kennedy swims out of this car and then 10 hours passes. And then we find out that there was this Mary Jo Kopechny was also in the car and she drowned and may have been able to live if anybody alerted the authorities. And then it's this 10 hour, what could have happened? Why didn't he go to the house right there to call the police? Where did he go? His two friends got involved. They allegedly came back, um, swam in, tried to save her. Then Ted Kennedy, they get in a boat. They go back to Edgartown. And he's seen by somebody at 2.30 and goes to his hotel and goes to sleep. And then wakes up the next day and goes to breakfast. And then when they find the dead girl in the car and it gets covered up to the point that they don't even charge him with involuntary manslaughter. It's his car. He admits he was in it. They get him off the island. And the whole thing is just absolutely amazing. What did I leave out, Chuck? Well, I mean, you just like to like summarize the story basically is like Ted Candy drove off the road with a woman who wasn't his wife into the water. She died. He didn't. He seemed to just think maybe if he avoided it, he, nobody would notice. But then at one point realized you can't just forget about this. And, and uh, I mean, there's no, it's interesting. Like, is this even a conspiracy? Cause the conspiracy usually indicates that there's sort of one story, like the government or the, the institutions are trying to promote. And then there's like the real story underneath. It seems like the story underneath is sort of the story everyone accepts. That, you know, like Ted Kennedy was kind of a hard-drinking guy, you know, liked women quite a bit. Uh, the assumption is that there was probably something going on with this woman that uh, that he wouldn't want his wife or anyone to know about. And, you know, and, and then when the accident happened, he just tried to get out of it. He kind of did, although it did end the possibility of him becoming president. He got reelected so the next year in Massachusetts. Oh, absolutely! But, it's I mean, unbelievable. Step down, yeah. But I mean, he it, it stopped him from becoming president. He he probably would have become president at some point. He probably would have got the nomination in 1976 over Carter. Or like that probably would have happened. I think. Um, it's uh, oh, it's you know. Also, one thing that I didn't know that I learned from the movie is like. Apparently, he invented the cliche of wearing a neck collar to court, right? To indicate that you're hurt, like that was like his thing. Is like, oh, I'll wear this neck brace, and people will think I'm okay. Um, do you think that in some ways uh, there was a collective willingness to forgive him because of what had happened to his brothers? A hundred percent. That somehow he was he was seen as like an umbrella 
you know, it's like they're the Kennedy and Braille. They had these two tragic things happen in their lives, and there was a desire to forgive him. He does that world. when he does the statement. He finally gives a statement yeah. that's televised, 15 minutes long, to the American people apologizing for what happened and brings up the Kennedy curse and somehow makes himself sympathetic, even though I think there's a 99.9% chance he was a drunk guy trying to get laid who drove off a bridge and then ditched the girl in the car and got out and didn't yeah. tell anybody because he was afraid it was going to ruin his his uh, presidential campaign. Meanwhile, the girl was probably alive for multiple hours in the car, and it seems like she well, suffocated. I, why, do, why do they think she was alive for multiple hours? I mean, the car would have been filling up with water. I don't think it was. I mean, it's like it was. I don't think it was filling up. I think it was filling up so slowly because it wasn't totally underground. And this podcast said the car's upside down and she's completely disoriented. It's pitch black. So she can't see. And your instincts are telling you to go up toward the top of the car, go up to the, but she's upside down and doesn't realize to just go down and then swim in the what in the window. So she's panicking and Maybe that's why, you know, maybe she ran out of breath faster or something, but she definitely, the, the, uh, autopsies slash whatever court, the coroner, the, how the water came out of her, um, lungs and stuff indicated that she was alive for a while before she died, but there was never actually an autopsy, which was another crazy thing about this. He got so many things buried or discarded, including the fact that it, an autopsy could have proven if she had died before the car ride, if he had driven it off intentionally, um, it could have proven that she was super drunk. It could have proven that she was assaulted in some way. Like who knows? Uh, but I think he paid off the family. It's pretty clear. Like the family, let it, the family let it go like immediately, which is weird. Well, like, I oh yeah. The, I think the family thought of the Kennedys as uh, wonderful people who their daughter completely believed in politically and would have done anything for. And I don't think it occurred to them that Ted Kennedy could have been, could have not cared about whether or not she lived or died. Um, I think that I just don't think that they were willing to do that. You know, he, accept that belief. Yeah. Well, and, and, they, it'd be and hard they got to, paid to off. To pay people off. Like what do you have to be paid to accept the death of your child? I think millions and millions like if, of dollars. I, I don't know if that would be enough. Are you saying that, I mean, uh, use your own kids. Don't, you don't have to pick up a number, but like what would, what number would it be like you would accept their wrongful death from someone? I, I think that they wanted to believe him. They yeah, but they never even, they never even did a civil suit. Yeah, because they wanted to believe his story. They wanted to believe that Ted Kennedy did everything he could to keep their daughter alive. Oh God! They don't. They didn't. His want, story they didn't was want so bad. This. He his yeah, story. Were, his story about uh one one part was he said after they couldn't save her, they were driving back to Edgartown, and he swam across the channel 150 yards back to his hotel because he because there was no ferry anymore and he just he panicked and he swam like. 150 yards, not like a short length of time. It's late at night. It's completely pitch black. And he's been drinking the whole night and he just crashed a car and probably got a concussion. And there was like currents. It wasn't like a lake. It's like, you know, a river. Um, and, and that was one of his stories. 
Yeah, and it changed his perception forever. I mean, it's like when he died in 2009, and of course he had a long political career. He was a real meaningful, uh, you know, member of Congress and all these things. But uh, he was never um, sort of respected or perceived as having a huge amount of personal integrity because of this event. I mean, so it's not I like hope that. I mean. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was it. It did even like like you know you could just ask the guy in the room like do you know what Chappaquiddick is and they were like no but I bet if you ask them to describe Ted Kennedy, uh, assuming the person could do this, it would be kind of a mixed description. You know, it's a it's it, it's the, the the sort of meaning of this event never left him, um, and you know the Kennedy family in general. It seems like like. That thing is over. The idea of the Kennedys being the closest thing to royalty in the United States, it seems. And this movie sort of isn't like, isn't the cause of that, but it kind of shows how the perception of that family uh, as kind of being unassailable or something people aspire to is kind of done entirely. And I don't know if it will, it's hard to imagine a family having that sort of role again in society. Yeah. You and I had the same reaction to that. The Kennedys have not aged well. I think the JFK JFK stuff has not aged well. Chappaquiddick. uh, I I don't know why it didn't age badly at the time, but it seemed like he was able to keep his career. And even though he killed somebody and got away with it, basically. Um, But that now has not aged well. The movie's pretty damning. I recommend the movie. I thought it was really good. I enjoyed it. Here, here is something I'll just ask you, and then we can finish up here. Because this is something I talked about the last time I was on book tour, which I guess would have been in in uh, May, I think. Okay, so if, if you went to any of the, anybody out there went to any of these book events, you can probably stop listening now. But okay, so I was at home one night, and my wife is kind of texting furiously suddenly, and, I, and she's texting with her friends, and I, I I have no idea what they're texting about, and they're texting about that like the last royal wedding. Okay, yeah. Um, which I guess I vaguely knew was happening, but I'm, I can also sort of, if I don't want to follow something, I can just not hear about it. So I knew something was going on, but I didn't know any of the details. And I realized it's just, I, it suddenly dawns on me that this is of you know, super high interest to people, um, you know, uh, as these royal weddings often are. And I was thinking about kind of the tabloid culture of the United States and the tabloid culture of the UK. In general, like the tabloids in England are much more salacious and seedier and like more tawdry than the tabloid culture of the United States. However, the apex of tabloid culture in England is always the Royal family. It's always been that way and it always will be. And it's kind of a classy thing, right? It's like they're royalty. They're very mannered. There's very formal. There's nothing tawdry about the Royal family. If anything comes up, that is um, sort of sleazy. The, the most minor thing is a big deal because they're sort of looked as this sort of prestige thing. Okay, so that's the apex of, uh, of of English tabloid culture. The apex of American tabloid culture is always changing. Like it's the Kardashian family, but it used to be the end of Elvis's life. For yeah. a while, it was like Michael Tanya Jackson. Harding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's always changing. Okay, so on the one hand. That's always the apex of American culture in terms of its tabloid world. Okay, so in England you have 
sort of a um, uh, a respectable uh, thing at the top, but it's completely unchangeable. It's based on this one family. You can't break into it unless you can somehow find a way to marry one of them. It's uh, like a uh, immovable thing. Like the, the top of tabloid culture in England is this one family and that's it. There's no, it can't change. In the United States, the top of tabloid culture tends to be kind of something kind of gross and unseemly, but at least it is based on, for lack of a better term, merit. Yeah. Like you can aspire to become the situation and it can happen. You know, it's like, it's uh, it, there's a meritocracy to being the most famous person in America for reasons that are not admirable. So what situation do you say is better? Is the way it is in England better or is the way in the United States better? If we're talking about the top of their tabloid culture, is it better to have something that's acceptable but fixed or something that is uh, kind of unseemly but constantly evolving? I, I would rather have the unseemly constantly evolving. I was reading a story today about Kylie Jenner is worth $900 million. There's a Forbes magazine cover story and people are pissed off about it because she's 20 and she's this whole business. I was thinking like, that's amazing. How do the Kardashians keep doing it? They're like uh, they're like the Dallas Cowboys in the 70s, 80s, and 90s just continually coming up with new teams. Now they have, is it, it's Kylie, right? Kylie? Kyrie? Kawhi? Uh, if she ever dated one of them, I'd be confused. No, it's Kylie. Uh, yeah, I mean, now she's this whole industry. I, I would argue the Kardashians are the royal family right now, for better or worse. And, yeah, except that what's interesting is that at some point that will end. And they'll be replaced. It will definitely the royal end. family will never be replaced, you know? No. Um, yeah. I see. I thought the royal family, after after Charles divorced Diane and it turned out he was with Camilla Bowles the whole time, it seemed like that was going to lose his luster, but no. They love it. And no, it, 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 that was, I mean, that's as, that was sort of as edgy as it got for that world. Like, that was like the fact that this happened was, um, you know, um, uh, like the biggest sort of scandal within that family in like recent memory or whatever. Um, uh, and still, that's not, you know, that would not be uh, seen as a very controversial move in the world of the Kardashians. <laughs> you know, that would, yeah. <laughs> um, well, I just think it's interesting. I think that, that it's it's interesting how how like uh, this family, you know, it's like like somebody I was talking about this like I said at a book event and, and somebody mentioned from the audience said like, well, you know, uh I have a friend from London and we've talked about this. And what the person from London says is like, what the the reason we care about the royal family is because we all share this. We all have this. It's something that we all sort of um, uh, experience together, you yeah. know? but it's interesting. It's interesting. If you change the timber of your voice, that suddenly becomes sinister. If you say like, we all have the Royal family, <laughs> we all share it. It's all something that it's like, suddenly it seems like this dystopian world. It's yeah. the same word, but it's it, the idea of something that you have to sort of know about and that you have to in some way care about because it's this part of your shared society. That's, you can see that as very positive or very negative. Well, we have the Trumps now. We have Don Jr. and who's the other one? Eric? Ivanka? 
and uh, yeah, I and guess. Baron. You know, because we were because we started talking about the Kennedys, Melania. Like, well, you know, like what about the Kennedys? The Kennedys were always seen as sort of American royalty, and they call it Camelot or whatever. But I think that's done. I think the idea of of seeing the Kennedy family as somehow special in a positive way. Yeah. Like that probably has passed. Right. Yeah. Um, and you know, and, and this movie sort of illustrates that it's like you would, it would now be very difficult to do a hagiography of JFK. The I agree. expectation would be that you would, you, that, that it would be, um, sort of the, the portrait of a complicated person. Um, who like to get laid, like who wear a back no, brace and like to have no, sex. The, yeah, yes, yeah. Yeah, the Kennedys. The uh, We'll never see the whole, like, the family rich enough to just buy off a murder and then people who love them enough to just kind of look the other way. I don't think that happens again. Well, I mean, okay, let's say Hillary had won the election. Let's oh, say no. Hillary had won the election yes. and she had and, had, and had a great first term and was reelected. And then some years down the line, Chelsea ran for the presidency. Um, I, in fact, I would, I think that at some point Chelsea will run for the presidency. I think that's very possible. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, that would have been, you know, uh, obviously a unique situation in American history that a family would have had both spouses be president and their kid would have been sort of in the same level. Um, but even, you know, the Clintons aren't, perceived the way the Kennedys were perceived. I was just on vacation last week. My father-in-law, who's pretty left-leaning, is now like, I really now believe that Clinton should have been removed from office. Bill Clinton should have been removed from office for the Michael Lewinsky thing. And I'm like, boy, it's interesting how, like, at the time, you know, there was just an overwhelming sense from the American people that the media had gone too far and Kenneth Starr had gone too far. And this is not that big of a deal. And that, that we recognize that marital infidelity and lying about marital infidelity should not be a reason you can't be president. Right now. I don't know if people think that now I, you know, we talk about like the young people in your office. I bet if they're at all informed about what happened with Monica Lewinsky, they would all say Bill Clinton should not be president. I think that that has become sort of the standard position to take, even though when it happened, the more progressive way to look at it was to say they're overreacting to this. This is not something that should be caused. We don't want to be in the we don't want to live in the kind of country where someone's activities outside of politics destroys their political career. That is no longer the progressive opinion to have. That is now seen as an incredibly reactionary view. Well, one of the opinions was basically like, why would he do it with her? Remember that whole thing? That would not fly yeah, out until 20 a, years that later. Was a big part of it. Really? That's who, you know? that's who he's going to cheat on his wife with? That would never fly now. The whole idea of that impeachment was because, you know, he perjured himself in testimony about Whitewater that uh, the, the Monica stuff was sort of ancillary to that. And that was sort of you know, this whole thing. I think now the thinking would be, well, he should have been removed from office just for having done this, just yeah. for having taken advantage of this person who was his subordinate and was that much, you know, she was an adult woman. So you have to give her agency, but at the same time, she, he's the president and she's younger than him and all these things. It would, it would, uh, I think that that would be what people would justify because that's, I think that there are people who believe 
that would be in, you know, that, that removal of Trump that can be, you know, just sort of that, that his, that could be um, sort of justified simply for his personal behavior and the way he talks. Well, no, I, I, remember I, another thing from back then was, well, if Hillary took better care of him, maybe he wouldn't have to do that. That was, that was another angle. There's a lot of hot takes in 1999 with the Clinton thing that would not fly well, in 2018. Yeah, well, because that that kind of hot take you just mentioned, like it's hard to find that written anywhere. That was the kind of thing. That was a cocktail party said, take. Right? Yeah, it was a it yeah. was like a hanging now, out with their friends take. All, now that would be made in public. <laughs> and there, there would there would be like someone would be like oh look at social media look at all of these people who are blaming Hillary for Bill's infidelity there'd be this entire list of this yeah um, you know and that that's what's it's just a strange thing I mean I, I, it's just this interesting thing when they talk about social media it's often described as like this is kind of like a town square or this is kind of like a cocktail party you know you're involved in this thing like can you imagine being in a town square or at a cocktail party with somebody who every 20 minutes loudly gives their opinion about some unrelated event. <laughs> like you probably wouldn't stand that close to them. Would you You probably would not want them at your party? If that was like, if like every so often they got on the table and they just gave their take on something. And then and then 20 minutes later, they did it again. We wouldn't say to that person is like, God, I'm glad they came. Right. You know, that was a real great addition to this party or whatever. Uh, that that's what's different, sort of. You know, these it, it's it's not like that. It's actually very different than just a uh, uh, you know, sort of a. Uh, it's not like a conversation. It's very different. <laughs> um, we have to go. We're almost at the two hour mark. We we hadn't talked to each other in a while. We had a lot to talk about. Uh, Chuck Klosterman, anything to plug? Uh, nope, just just hanging out. All right. Thanks as always. Thanks for coming on. Okay. It was a pleasure. Talk bye to you bye. soon. All right, bye. All right, thanks to Chuck. Thanks to ZipRecruiter. Don't forget to check them out at ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. Don't forget about all the new Ringer t-shirts that we put up. We we were giving out some of them in Vegas. People were going nuts. That is the Ringer.com slash shop. And we're back on Friday with one more BS podcast. Until then. Bye.